Hello, Tom Tilly with you for The Briefing. Now, there's a significant change happening in Australia, but it is so slow that you might not have even noticed it. Now, I have noticed it because it's something I've been reporting on for almost a decade, and it's the pill testing debate. So, it often comes up after a tragic drug death at a music festival, or in some years, like 2018, a spate of five deaths. Now, despite the grief from those losses and all the evidence that drug testing is reducing harm overseas, it appeared like nothing was changing here in Australia. But things were changing because behind the scenes, advocates were keeping the course and continued to make the argument for drug testing. Finally, the ACT got a trial up at a music festival and then last year they established a fixed site in Canberra. Then, last month, a big piece of the puzzle fell. The Queensland government made this announcement. It allows people to have their substance check, whether it's at a fixed site or a festival, and it leads to those people finding out that what they have is not what they thought it was. So now we have one of Australia's biggest states introducing pill testing, and as you're going to find out, it could be one of the most comprehensive systems in the world. For one grieving mother, this is a massive breakthrough. Her name is Julie Tam. She lost her son, Josh, and we're going to interview her in today's briefing. He was an ordinary kid and he could be anyone's ordinary kid. For us, it was exceptional, of course, but, you know, Mm. he was just an ordinary 22-year-old boy who went to a festival and never came home. That's Julie Tam, who we'll speak to in our briefing about Queensland's pill testing breakthrough and how it could start a national rollout. That is our briefing. First, today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Tuesday, the 21st of March. A former SAS soldier has been arrested and charged with the murder of an Afghan man in 2012. He's now facing a maximum sentence of life in prison. So the 41-year-old was arrested by the Australian Federal Police in the New South Wales Snowy Mountains yesterday. And, uh, Tom, this follows an investigation that has spanned years. Yeah, it's likely there'll be more arrests of former soldiers because the Brereton Inquiry in 2020 recommended that 23 incidents and 19 individuals be referred to the police for further investigation. So it appears we're starting to see the outcomes from those investigations. China's president has arrived in Moscow overnight, so Xi Jinping has sat down with Vladimir Putin, where they've been discussing a peace plan for the conflict in Ukraine. They started the meeting by calling each other dear friends, and Putin said he'd studied Beijing's 12-point peace proposal, which called for a ceasefire and peace talks which essentially ratify Russia's battlefield gains. Um, That idea has not been um, very attractive to the US or Ukraine, who have both rejected it. You wonder, uh, is it a starting point? I mean, the optimist Mm. in me hopes so, but given it has been rejected, possibly not. Uh, There was a bit of an awkward moment where Xi praised Putin's strong leadership and said he was sure that the Russian people would support him in the presidential elections next year. The only issue with that is the Russian leader hasn't yet formally announced he's going to run for president, although you know, I'm sure he's going to. Uh, the Kremlin then had to issue a denial that Xi had inside knowledge about Putin's plans. 
We have a worrying new warning from the UN that we're running out of time to seriously slash our fossil fuel use and greenhouse gas emissions to keep Earth habitable. The rate of temperature rise in the last half century is the highest in 2,000 years. Concentrations of carbon dioxide are at their highest in at least 2 million years. The climate time bomb is ticking. Oh, two million years. That's the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres there. So this follows the release of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's final part of its mammoth sixth assessment report. It shows the Paris Agreement's target of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees within the next decade is likely to be surpassed. And Rupert Murdoch has announced he's engaged to be married for the fifth time. So the 92-year-old News Corp media mogul will marry 66-year-old Anne Leslie Smith. He says he knows this could be his last, and he said, it better be, I'm happy. So Anne Leslie Smith um, is a former journalist, prison chaplain and musician. 92, and he still believes in love, especially (laughs) after... All those costly divorces, I do Mm. not know how this man has any money left. So I looked up how much he's had to pay out. I don't know about the first wife, but £1.7 billion to his second wife. Then an undisclosed sum to Wendy Deng, which means it was pretty huge. Mm. Uh, Another 250 mil to Jerry Hall, who remember he broke up with via email, Mm. along with a couple of mansions that he had to give to her. He's also being sued at the moment. Um, $1.6 billion in a defamation lawsuit against Fox by Dominion voting. So, hmm, he better not get divorced again because he might not be able to afford to. He's got a lot going on for a 92-year-old, doesn't he? (laughs) It keeps him young, I'm sure. All right, we'll catch you later, Katrina. Uh, In just a moment, we're talking about the pill testing breakthrough in Queensland. All right, now to our briefing on the introduction of pill testing in Queensland and what it could mean for the rest of the country. So the announcement came at the end of last month and it was very good news to Julie Tam. She lost her son, Josh. He was 22 when he died after taking MDMA at a music festival at the end of 2018. Julie, thank you so much for joining us on the briefing. What's your reaction to the big news in Queensland? Uh, probably relief would be the word that um, that comes to mind. Um, relieved that finally um, we're moving in a positive direction. So how much has your attitude changed towards drugs over the years, Julie? I imagine from when you first found out what had happened to Josh to now, you've been on a bit of a journey yourself. Oh, absolutely. From the very early days when just talking to Josh's cousins who were around his age and and the topic of pill testing or drug checking came up and they sort of talked about it and I sort of initially went, seriously, what do you want about that? That can't be the way to go. Like, what's with that sort of thing? And um, and it was sort of from being open to listening to what that meant and why it was that young people as well thought this could be something that might have helped Josh. You know, I took it on board and decided to, to learn about it to, so that I wasn't making a, a judgment based on initial shock reaction. Things turned around quite a lot for me because of that, because I became educated in and more aware of what that meant. Yeah, well, part of that journey was an inquest into 
six people that died from drug use and that included Josh and that was when I actually first ever spoke to you and you came to Sydney to follow that inquest. What did you learn from that process and how much did that play a role in educating you about these possible harm reduction measures? Well, we got to listen to so many experts in in their fields, you know, and people from around the world, and that to me was um, eye-opening. And then to sort of hear it from people like that, not just Josh's young cousins, just gave it more credibility. My thoughts at the inquest was, you know, if we can't listen to the experts, then why are we listening to anyone else? Mm. So, yeah, it was... um, incredibly informative it was difficult obviously for all of us parents sitting there listening to all of these things that that could have potentially saved our children's lives but when you lose a child to misadventure shall we say it immediately comes to mind all the things you know you've lost your child but your mind is racing with oh my god what could have stopped this from ever happening whatever that is we've got to do that I think all of us parents went away thinking, well, you know, they've come together, they've had this inquest, they've spent, you know, Mm. heavens knows how much, they'll take it away and they'll, you know, implement all the findings because that's the purpose of them. And then to come away, I think we all felt incredibly dejected. Yeah, so we're four years down the track from that now. I remember at the time, you know, us challenging on Hack, on Triple J, challenging some of those politicians. It's like you've You've got the evidence here. Are you going to do something about it? And as you say, apart from the ACT where they have implemented it, there was this stalemate. It was a pretty much a hard no in New South Wales where we've had a, a coalition government. And I remember calling some of the the staffers in the in the Labor government in Queensland and there was a little bit more openness to it there. But I, I guess I never expected necessarily that Queensland would be the state that would would move first in addition to the Australian Capital Territory. So what's happened in, in Queensland in the meantime to bring us to this point and how much have you been involved in the conversations with your state government? You know, if I were to, to put it simply, we never let it become a political bond fight, not that anyone else did. We recognised what happened in New South Wales and realised that when this is out there in the media and it's out front and there's, you know, everyone's having their opinion and it's controversial, we understand that. Pill testing for Queensland Alliance became an entity. And in the discussions with that, we all agreed that this is not about being out there in the media, being seen to do something. Let's go quietly about it in the background and educate mm. the people who need to know what this actually means and that it's a health issue like any other health issue that we would tackle. You know, we did speak with political representatives and I was able to share Josh's story. And I think that, you know, a big part of the Pill Testing Alliance for Queensland felt that having a face to the issue helped a lot with regards to political interaction. As difficult as that was, and we made that decision fairly early on that, Josh's story needed to be heard simply because, you know, he was an ordinary kid um, Mm. and he could be anyone's ordinary kid. For us, it was exceptional, of course, but, you know, Mm. he was just an ordinary 22-year-old boy who went to a festival and never came home. It's an amazing effort to keep up the, the political will 
to make change on this, you know, after reporting on it for many years, I really did wonder if it would just sort of fall by the wayside and it, it's not till you have another shocking summer like we had that summer when Josh died and, and five other people um, yeah. that, that, that it comes back on the agenda. So for it to boil away over the years and for change to actually come is quite a relief and very encouraging. Mm. Absolutely. And things like, you know, the, the fixed site trial running in, in Canberra, that was a, the Queensland government very much looked at that and saw that that mm. had positive outcomes. So I think that they approached it as a health issue, not a criminal mm. issue. And that's what the difference was, I think, to date. My hope is that it will eventually be dealt with as um, a health issue or Australia-wide, um, because that's mm. what it is. It's not about how do we criminalise this and how do we make it stop and this never happen and all the rest of it. But, you know, mm. I wish Josh had never done it. I wish he was had mm. never got, you know, involved in that sort of thing. But the reality is that um, young people will test the waters and, and mm. do these things. And I know there's a lot of people who say, you know, just say no and don't, you know, think for a minute we didn't say no to Josh, we did. But, you know, I'm happy for those parents that whose children hear no and don't do it. That's great for them. Mm. What this is all about is putting in harm measurements for people whose children don't say no and do it anyway. Mm. So this is for putting in harm reduction um, measures to ensure that those people have a last line of defence is what I like to think of it as. For me, it's not really just about the drug checking. It's about the fact that they actually get to sit with a health professional who can look at them in the eye and mm, see how mm. they are. And I feel like it's like having a an educated parent at a festival that we can't go to, <laughs> wouldn't go to, yeah. and that they wouldn't listen to anyway, that may be able to save their lives by giving them the information that they need to hear at that point. I have no doubt that it will save many lives. That was Julie Tam. And now to find out more about how the Queensland system will work, we're going to speak to one of the leading advocates, Rebecca Lang. She's the CEO of the Queensland Network for Alcohol and Other Drug Agencies. Rebecca, thank you for joining us. What do you think actually got the Queensland government over the line on this issue? Well, it was a few things. I think the last thing that got them over the line was um, really, we made the point really well that at no point are drug checking services telling people that drug use is safe. So the existence of the um, fixed site trial in Canberra and the alerts that were being issued on a regular basis out of that service to say that, you know, there was um, contaminants in the ketamine and that the cocaine wasn't actually pure cocaine really helped to underline that actually this is about uh, harm reduction and safety rather than it being about condoning or encouraging people to use drugs. So that in combination with you know, all of the evidence from overseas that these services don't add to harm, they reduce harm, um, I think, was what got them over the line. Right. So do you think if it, if it wasn't for the ACT leading the way on this, then it, it would have been a lot harder to make the case to the Queensland government? Yeah. I mean, we've been making this case to the Queensland government for six years now. With kind of growing kind of acceptance and normalisation of the conversation, um, the other thing we've been doing is getting police on board because obviously their behaviour outside mm. these types of services is really critical to their success. So it really was a it was a, a group effort over a long period of time. But what finally got the minister across the line was being able to see that it was possible um, and also how useful it could be. When Yvette Darth, the minister, announced it, I thought there was a real lack of detail 
you know, we haven't been told how many events there'll be mobile sites at. We haven't been told how many fixed location testing sites there will be. I didn't even get a sense of whether they'd test for purity as well as contaminants. So what do you know about how it's going to be rolled out in Queensland and when? We've got a pretty good indication from the Minister that they'll have selected a provider in the next few months, and that's really there's only a couple of providers in Australia who are set up and ready to go. The question of sites will be up to the provider is my understanding. So, for instance, the fixed site um, model here in Queensland would probably be delivered in conjunction with existing needle and syringe program or through existing um, community treatment uh, services. So my understanding is that at least one of the providers is looking at about five fixed sites across the state um, and is applying for a licence for 55 festivals across the state. So will it be ready in time for this summer at some scale? I don't think we'll get to festivals this summer because obviously um, policing around festivals is really um, tricky already, even without the introduction of this kind of a service. Um, Certainly there needs to be some training provided inside Queensland Police because usually police are on the other side of this um, equation. They're not giving space for these types of services. They're they're pursuing people for drug possession. So there's a lot of unknowns still, but um, I, I feel like we're, yeah, we're really well positioned to be a great exemplar for the rest of the country and how, how this might be done. That was Rebecca Lang from the Queensland Network for Alcohol and Other Drug Agencies. And it's going to be really interesting to see what the Queensland rollout looks like. In my opinion, I think this really could be a big turning point in Australia. Um, A bit like when Victoria introduced voluntary assisted dying. Um, The other big states waited to see how it went, and then when it all went well, they went the same direction. And now we have voluntary assisted dying right around the country. Sadly, in the case of pill testing, I hope it doesn't take more deaths to push this forward. But if there are festival drug deaths in a state that doesn't have pill testing... And then you can look to a state like Queensland that does have it and it seemed to be working. Then it's going to be a lot harder for those other premiers to make the no case. Meaning that in hindsight, it could be the ACT and Queensland that have started a slow motion national rollout of pill testing in Australia. But as I said at the start of this episode, it's all happening in very slow motion. These things take years. Listener.